today. We conclude our sermon series from the carols of, of Christmas. And hopefully as you have considered these biblical themes, uh, you have realized the living truths that are in these, in these carols. And I trust that as you sing or that you hear the songs of Christmas again, you will use them for, for times of reflection, for times of adoration, for times of worship of the one of whom the angels proclaimed in Luke chapter 2, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And today we will be looking at Silent Night, Holy Night. According to some sources, it has the distinction of being the most recorded song in history. And if you think about the lyrics of this song, each stanza of the song progressively reveals more and more of the significance of this child who is, who is sleeping in heavenly peace. In the first stanza, Jesus is described as a, as a holy infant. But in the second stanza, the heavenly messengers of Luke 2 are described, and this holy infant is identified as, as Christ the Savior. But it's in the third stanza that reveals the significance of the, the Christmas story. And, and here is, is the verse. I think we've got a slide for it. Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Behind these words is the truth of God's Word. Um, all the carols that we've described to you, that we've been teaching through, have really been inspired from a portion of, of Scripture. And I believe the best place to study these truths from our song today is in the Gospel of John chapter 1. So if you would turn there with me, John chapter 1, I'll be reading the first five verses. If you would please stand with me as we pay respect to God's Word while we read this portion of Scripture. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, we ask, please, that your Spirit would teach us now. We ask, Lord, that he would help us to understand these truths, and you would help us to meditate on these truths, especially as we consider this carol, as we sing this carol. May they not just be empty words that come out of our lips, Lord, but may we see the significance of it from, from your word today. And we do pray, Lord, that your spirit would help us to apply these truths and help us to make the necessary changes that need to be made for your glory, Lord, and at the end of the day, for our joy as well. So we ask for your help. Please, Lord, spirit, teach us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So what do we know about this song? Well, well, actually, we do know quite a bit of its origins. The story of Silent Night begins in 18, 
18 on Christmas Eve in, in Austria on what was unfortunately shaping up literally to be in some sense a, a silent night at the, the small Catholic town in, in the church in the, in the town of Obendorf. And the church organ had, had broken down and Joseph Moore, who was the assistant priest at St. Nicholas's Church, was scrambling to come up with some special music for the, for the midnight mass. Only hours before the service, Moore remembered a Christmas poem that he had written two years earlier. And digging this poem out, he, he rushed to the home of the, the church organist, Franz Gruber. And he did several things. He, he told him the, the organ was broken, but then asked him to write some music for the poem. Then he asked him to, to teach it to the, the church choir and then perform it on the guitar. And all he had was just a few hours. Uh, Gruber embraced the challenge, and the rest is history. The poem was Silent Night. But the story doesn't end there. We know about and sing the song today because the man who, who came a few weeks later to repair the, the broken organ, he heard the whole story from Moore, and he, he learned the song and over the next several years, as he repair, repaired organs in different parts of Austria and in Europe, he shared the song with dozens of other churches in that area. And from there, several Austrian families that worked as traveling folk singers, they, they took the song throughout Europe and even to the United States in, in 1839. And that's where we have the, the origins of this, this song. My first point this morning, we see, this afternoon, we see in verse 1 to verse 3, we see the true beginning of the Christmas story. While we just looked at the, the origins of that song, the inspired origin of the infant child, Jesus Christ, really comes back to the beginning of the Bible. The Gospel of Luke takes us back to the promise and the prophecies of the Old Testament, Matthew may take us all the way back to, to Abraham through the genealogy of Joseph, but John's gospel takes us straight back to the very first um, verse of the entire Bible. In the beginning, he says, I hope that you, under, you understood that um, recollection there or the, the phrase from Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, as well as John chapter 1 and John chapter 1 verse 3 we, John, the, the author of this gospel, is pointing us to Genesis. He's pointing us to Genesis chapter 1. And John is telling us here that even though the man Jesus was born at a certain time, even though he was born at a certain place, even though he was born of, of Mary, Jesus, who is the Word, existed at the very beginning of the universe. In eternity past, this Word was not only with God, a preposition suggesting a relationship, but that this word was God. This word was God. And why is this word called the word? Well, because in some sense, when, when God speaks all throughout Genesis chapter 1, it is the word who is the instrument by which creation takes place. God spoke and creation took place. It is the word. It is this instrument by which creation happens. All things were made 
through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. But the bridge, the bridge from eternity past to the recent past, at least for John's readers here reading this gospel, only comes in, in verse 14. Look at your Bibles there in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the Christmas story, isn't it? We have creation really from verse 1 to verse 13, and then from verse 14, we have the Christmas story. We have Jesus being incarnated, becoming flesh. The Word became flesh. He wrapped himself, he wrapped our humanity around his own deity. The instrument of God's creation became a part of the very creation that, that he created. If you were telling someone the, the Christmas story, where would you begin? Well, I would suggest that a good place to begin is where John begins, at the beginning of everything. Creation, the beginning of everything. The most important truth about the Christmas story is not that Jesus came as a fulfillment of, of prophecy, and we know that he did, or even that Jesus was born a king from David's line, which we know he was, or that he was born of a virgin, and we know how important that is. Or even that the angels declared his birth, and we know how important that was. The most important truth about the Christmas story is the truth contained in the name Emmanuel, which we've looked at, which means God with us. God from eternity past came down to our very world in presence, in, in, a, in a time and place, in human flesh. And from John chapter 1 to John chapter 1 verse 18, the writer helps us to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. This word is not the Father, but He is nevertheless still God. And since there is only God, we understand that God must exist as more than one person. This is the Trinity here taking place. The Trinity being explained. How else can the Son of the Word be with God and also be God? You see, when we begin the Christmas story where, where John begins it, we are able from the very start to explain the absolute bigness and uniqueness of that baby that has been laid in a manger. Which leads to my, my second point, which we see in verse 4 and verse 5. The true meaning of the, the Christmas story. Look how John continues in verse 4 and 5 of this chapter. He has shared with us the true beginning of the Christmas story. But look how he describes the true meaning of the Christmas story in verse 4. He says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when John says that the word was life, he, he's drawing out what he's already said in, in verse 3. The word is the creator of all life because he himself is life. But look at the second half of verse 4 there in your Bibles. The life, the life was the light of men. Well, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that the life was the light of men? 
Well, I think verse 5 can help us understand it. Notice verse 5 is another clear allusion to Genesis 1. Remember the opening verses of Genesis 1? Let me read them for you in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said in verse 3, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. John has a lot to say about light and darkness. As he refers to us, shows us here in Genesis chapter 1. And John is describing in verse 5, not, not a physical darkness. He's, he's referring to a, a spiritual darkness. And when John says that, that this life was the light of, of men... He seems to be pointing to the reality of a, of a spiritual darkness being spiritual death. And so the light that shines through God's word is life itself. And here in verse 3 of Silent Night, um, the, the verse starts with these lyrics. Silent night, holy night, son of God, loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face. I think the writer of the song, he makes it clear that he's, he's not writing about, nor, nor is John writing about physical light. Jesus was not born with a, with a compact fluorescent halo around his head in spite of some of the pictures that we see in, in paintings. No, it was love's pure light that was radiated from Jesus' face, because his birth was the dawn of redeeming grace, as the verse says. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And at Christmas time, we normally put Christmas lights up, don't we? And we decorate the tree with lights, and many people decorate their houses with lights, and many churches hold candlelight services. And for those who understand, all of these lights, if every incandescent and every LED should remind us that the first Christmas was like God turning on a huge spotlight and shining it into a world of spiritual darkness. And the light that is shining in the darkness that John is speaking of here in verse 5 is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. There are many good things about light. The main value of light, of course, is to, is to light our paths. But negatively, it helps us avoid danger, doesn't it? Positively, it helps you reach where you are going. When you walk in the darkness, you may stumble over, over a log or step on a sharp object or, or step on, a, on an animal or maybe even fall off a, off a cliff or hit your head on a, a low-hanging branch. Darkness is full of threat. Darkness frustrates your ability to achieve your, your goal. But light changes all of that. It exposes dangers. And it frees you from, from the power of darkness. It opens the way to your goal. 
It is full of hope and it promises the glad attainment of your goal. And in the letter that John writes, he says in, in verse 5, sorry, in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John had a lot to say about light in his, in his gospel and in his epistle. And the picture that John is clearly painting for us is this picture of God as light. And remember, this verse takes place in the very beginning of John's gospel. It's the, it's the opening scene of what's going to unfold in the, in the coming chapters of, of the gospel of John. John is setting the stage for For what Jesus is going to do, he is a light shining in the darkness. And one commentator describes this verse this way. He says, as light shines in the darkness, so Jesus brought the revelation and salvation of God to humanity in its fallen and lost condition. He did this in the incarnation, as the word of God brought light to the chaos before creation So Jesus brought light to fallen humankind when he became a man. I love that parallel. I love that parallel that he makes us think about here. There is a clear parallel here in the first few verses of John between what, what Jesus did physically in creation and spiritually by coming to the earth, by being incarnated. And this light that that John is talking about represents both the message that he came to proclaim and the salvation that he came to deliver. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In contrast to the light, there is darkness. And the darkness represents the, the fallen and the sinful state of the world and the people who live in it. This was both a physical and a spiritual condition. But as prevalent as the darkness was, the light shines through it, regardless. And John here is foreshadowing the end of the end of the story. He tells us that Jesus wins. It's not really a fair fight at all. The darkness doesn't have a chance. And when the light shows up, The darkness runs and it hides. Picture a a flashlight, a torch in the darkness. When it's turned on, the the darkness runs away. It flees from the, the beam. And it doesn't matter how dark it is. The light pierces through it every time. And Jesus' light pierces through the fallen and the broken world that we live in. And his light brings healing. His light brings hope. And his light brings direction to those who are, who are lost and hurting. And the darkness will not overcome the light. Let me give you some points of application. John 1 verse 5. He talks about God is light in the dark world that we live in. Please understand that there is a very practical implication here. We live in a dark world. We live in a world that is corrupt by by sin. And Jesus comes to change that. 
We should live in light of what Jesus has done for us. He comes to bring direction to our lives. He comes to bring healing to those who are hurting. And in verse 5, really, this is an invitation for all of us to, to step into this light. It's an invitation for us to find hope. It's an invitation for us to find healing. It's an invitation for us to, to be restored to the creator of the universe, to leave the darkness behind and to live in God's light. But for many, they prefer, many they prefer, prefer the darkness and they want to stay hidden. I remember, I think I might have shared with you as a young child going on holiday with my, with my mother to, to the coast and we stayed in a, in a very small little cottage right on the coast and I remember waking up one night and needing the bathroom at like 2 o'clock in the morning and walking through to the bathroom and putting on the light. And all of a sudden, the floor moved around me. There were cockroaches all over the floor. But as soon as I put on the light, they scattered. They scattered. Couldn't see them with the light on, but I knew they were there. The Lord comes to remove that darkness and to provide a way for us to be illuminated. It's like walking out of a dark theater into a bright, sunny day. Light will hurt our eyes. But when we step into God's light, He's, he's going to illuminate some, some painful parts of our life. Not, not to hurt us, but to, but to bring healing, to e expose the darkness, to help us to see what is not good for us. It's going to hurt before it heals. And the life that comes on the other side of that temporary pain is worth it. And God can and will take the darkness inside of us and transform it into something incredible. And He's calling us, He's inviting us to step into the light, to live in the light, and see what God can do in you. And as you take down your Christmas tree this year and, and you wrap up, the Christmas lights, ask yourself this question. Do you have this life that is in the light of men? Do you have this light that is in the light of men? Has love's pure light shone in your life and has it removed the spiritual darkness and the bondage that you were once a slave to or that you are a slave to? Has love's pure light shone in your life? And lastly, I think it's important that we look at the true blessing of Christ. The true blessing of Christ we see in verse 14 to verse 18. Look at John chapter 1, your gospel of John. In verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The NIV, the New International Version, translates that verse 16 as, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. So Christ, who is the Word, has been the focus of John chapter 1. And in verse 14, we read, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the fact that Jesus was full of grace and truth is the, is the key concept that is, that is addressed in verse 16 and 17. Jesus is full of grace. And John says that. From that fullness, we, including His original readers, including us, including the rest of mankind, we have received grace and more grace. And one, one hallmark of any interaction with Jesus is grace. Christians receive grace, and then we receive more grace. Grace served on top of grace. Grace, and then in place of that, more grace. The point is that, that Christ is full of grace. And those who know Him, those who truly have a, relation, a relationship with Him, are showered with grace. The Amplified Bible translates verse 16 this way. Out of His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. Favor upon favor and gift heaped upon gift. And the point I'm trying to make and what is abundantly clear is that when we come to Christ, He gives us more than we deserve. He gives us more than, than we have even dreamed of. Look at verse 17. And here we have a contrast just to help us understand what really is being offered here, okay? Look at verse 17. Christ is contrasted with Moses and the law. Of course, the law of God's dealings with Israel did involve grace. There was grace. There was truth. But the emphasis on, on the law was obedience. And if you were unable to obey the law, you were punished. The emphasis was obedience and, and punishment. In the New Testament, the law is often contrasted with, with grace. The law emphasized God's divine standards and the inability of fallen mankind to meet them, while grace rescues fallen humanity from the deserved punishment. And the law pinpoints the problem, and grace fixes the problem. Grace fixes the problem. Keep your fingers in, in the Gospel of John and turn to Romans, Romans chapter 5. I think it's important that you see this, these verses here. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the Scripture says the same thing really in a slightly different way. It says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's because Christ came to this world. That's because he was incarnated in the flesh. When we sing Silent Night, and we will shortly after this, when we sing these words, reflect on how Christ's birth was indeed the dawn of redeeming grace. Why? Because Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. I think it's fair to say that no, no matter how many 
Christmases you've celebrated or you will celebrate in the future, no matter how many gifts that you've been given or that you've received, no matter how many, uh, how many of those gifts you've enjoyed, you cannot know the true meaning of Christmas. You cannot know the true fullness of Christmas until you receive the gift of God's grace that came through Jesus Christ. I hope you remember what grace is, the meaning of grace. We talk a lot about it here in New Life Church. Here's a working definition of what God means by grace. Grace is the favor that God freely gives in order that we might get the exact opposite of what we deserve. And God might get all the credit. And what do we deserve, folks? What do we deserve? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life grace. Our turning from God has led us into the darkness. And let's not be deceived, folks. We have all turned from God. We have all turned from God. Nothing good in us has run after God. But the gift of Christmas is the gift of light. It is the gift of life. And I pray that new life is yours, and it can be through faith. I found this story that I want to finish my sermon with. It's really a wonderful story, but a very sad story all at the same time, and I explain it why. The story is about World War I. The year was 1914, and the soldiers were having to spend Christmas Eve on the battlefields of France during World War I, the Great War, as it was called. And after only four months of fighting, more than a million men had already perished on the bloody conflict. The bodies of dead soldiers were scattered between the trenches. Enemy troops were dug in so close that they could easily exchange shouts. And on December the 24th, 1914, in the middle of a freezing battlefield in France, a miracle happened. The British troops watched in amazement as candle-lit Christmas trees began to appear above the German trenches. The glowing trees soon appeared along the length of the German front. And Henry Williamson, a young soldier with the London Regiment, wrote in his diary, from the German parapet, a rich baritone voice had begun to sing a song I remembered my German nurse singing to me. The grave and tender voice rose out of the frozen mist. It was also strange, like being in another world to which one had come through a nightmare. The song, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Quiet, began to be heard. And they finished their carol, and we thought that we ought to retaliate. And another British soldier wrote, So we sang the first Noel. And when we finished, they all began clapping, and they struck up, O Tannerbaum, and on it went until we started up, O come all he faithful. And the Germans immediately joined in. This was really a most extraordinary thing. Two nations both singing the same carol in the middle of a war. It is recorded that enemy soldiers greeted each other on the no man's land that was a killing zone the day before. And the soldiers wished each other Merry Christmas and agreed not to fire their rifles on Christmas Day. And the spontaneous ceasefire eventually embraced much of a 500-mile stretch of the western 
front. And according to the reports of soldiers at the scene, hundreds of thousands of soldiers celebrated the birth of the Prince of Peace among the bodies of their dead. Other soldiers told of how the enemies exchanged badges and buttons from their uniforms. Others shared photos of wives and children, and some even exchanged dresses and promises to write after the war ended. And the German troops rolled out barrels of dark beer, and the British reciprocated with offerings of plum pudding. And some soldiers produced soccer balls, and a spirited match broke out as fellow soldiers shouted encouragement. At one location along the front of the men who just the day before sought to kill one another now gathered together to bury their dead. And together with heads uncovered, they held a service to memorialize their fallen comrades. A solitary voice began to sing Silent Night in French. He was joined by another voice, and this one singing in German, the words of a Christmas song known and beloved by all. But the miracle of peace was temporary. Slowly, under threats from their officers, the troops returned to the trenches, and the recoils of rifles split the temporary silent night. And some soldiers admitted aiming, so their bullets flew above the heads of the enemy. And every time I read that story, I'm overcome by a sense of, of sadness. I'm reminded of the darkness that is in this world. I'm reminded of the brokenness of the world that, that we live in. I'm reminded, as, as Roman 5 teaches us, that sin reigns in death. And worldly peace will always be temporary. And spiritual darkness is a very real reality. And Satan walks around like a, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But I choose this year to cast my mind on the blessing of Christ. I choose this year to cast my mind on truth. That grace reigns through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Jesus is full of grace. And from that fullness, we receive more grace upon grace. And God is inviting us this year to step into the light, to find hope, to find healing, to find restoration, and to leave the darkness behind and to live in God's light for His glory and for our joy. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we do live in a broken world. We are reminded of that every time we put on the television and watch the news or read the, the newspaper. We see conflict all around us. We see hurt all around us. We see broken relationships. We see pain. But Lord, we don't have to live in this pain for eternity because you have come to set the captives free. You came to this earth that you created. You came in flesh so that you could give your body as a living sacrifice for the sins that we committed. You came to bring hope. You came to bring healing. You came to restore us to the one who created us. And Lord, we find much hope this Christmas as we are reminded
of this dawn of redeeming grace. Instead of death, Lord, we receive grace upon grace. We who deserve to be punished for eternity for our rejection of your Son, instead, Lord, have been convicted of our sins and have been brought to repentance and have been given grace, amazing grace. And we sing a new song. We sing a new song to our Savior who has made this all possible. And Lord, I do pray today for those who are unable to sing this new song, who do not know you as their Savior, who are still living in darkness and are still suffering the effects of this broken world. Speak to them now, Lord. Give them faith to believe the truth that is in your word that we have read today. And grant them repentance from their sins so they may call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive this grace upon grace. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. And we celebrate him. And we are grateful, Lord, for your son and his amazing grace. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.